reading tonight is from Luke chapter 12, can be found on page 1045 of the Church Bibles. It's Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 35, page 1045. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now there were some present at that time 
who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, um, let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the opportunity to sit under your words. Do you pray you give us ears to hear and hearts and minds that are willing to take on board your word to us tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes it's, uh, it's good to give time to get ready for something, isn't it? Uh, it's lovely to have Mr. and Mrs. Sweet back uh, this evening. And um, if you were here a couple, of week, a couple of weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Wow, it's gone quick. If you were here a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, and if you'd been with Steve and Sarah on the morning of their wedding day, you'd have realised that it took a bit of time. It took a bit of time to get prepared for a really important occasion. Uh, whilst Steve's... Have you been into our office? Once. Whilst Steve's been away, there's been an addition to our office. As you walk in, there's now a little mirror up on the side. I've got my suspicions as to how it got there and who put it there. And uh, my presumption is that the mirror is more for Steve's benefit than for mine. Uh, but it's good to know, isn't it, that now Steve and I can uh, be more prepared. We've got more opportunity to get ready for our public appearances. <laughs> as we walk out the door, we have one final glance in the mirror. Clive, feel free to borrow it if you, you need to <laughs> borrow our mirror. When something is important, we take the time to get ready. We make sure we're ready. Think about exams or the important project or presentation at work or, or even just preparing to go on holiday. If it's important, we make sure we're ready. And the more we value something, the more we treasure something, the more effort we put in to make sure we're ready. In Luke 12... Jesus uh, wants to make sure we're ready. He wants to make sure we're ready, and he challenges us to consider where our treasure is. Because one day we will stand before God, and all the treasure in the world will count for absolutely nothing. When uh, Steve Jobs, the uh, founder and in, um, later on in life the chief exec of Apple, died, he was reportedly... Uh, worth a net value of $10.2 billion. How much of that did he take with him when he died? We are to store up treasures in heaven. We are to value what will last 
for eternity. That's the first half of Luke 12. And with that eternal future in mind, Jesus in the second half of chapter 12 draws out some implications for those who follow him about how to live now in the light of that future, how to store up treasure in heaven. And we are to be ready to be reconciled and to be repentant. So, firstly then, verses 35 to 49, be ready. I wonder what things in life you've missed because you weren't ready. The chance to meet someone, the bus, the train, the flights, the birth of a baby. Anyone done that? Good. Oh, I saw a hand point over there. When it's something important, we make sure we're ready, and we make sure we're ready in order that we don't miss out. Jesus tells the disciples and us this parable because he wants us to be ready for the day that we will meet him. And he wants us firstly to be waiting and watching. Just look at the parable with me. The the master in the parable is out at a wedding banquet, so uh, he's not going to be home late. But the servants at home is not to sleep. They are to be, verse 35, dressed ready for service. They are to keep the lamps burning, to keep the lights on. They are, be, they are to be waiting and watching so that when the master returns home and knocks on the door, they immediately open it and let him in. If you um, have someone staying at your house and they, you know they're going to be back late, if you know them well, you might well give them a key and say, just let yourself in and then go to bed. But if you had someone that you deemed to be a VIP stay at your house, You wouldn't do that, would you? You'd stay up. You'd make sure that you're awake to welcome them, to show them around so that they would feel at home. You'd be waiting at the door so they didn't even need to ring the doorbell. Jesus says the master will return. Christ will return and we are to be ready, waiting and watching. And look at verse 40, we are to wait and watch because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. I wonder, is anyone expecting Jesus to return this evening? Honestly? Why not? It's if he did return tonight, would he find you dressed with the lamps burning? Watching and waiting at the door, metaphorically. Or would he find you asleep? Just as if you knew a thief was coming to your home, you would be prepared. Well, so the Son of Man is coming, so why would we not be prepared? Why would we not get ready? 4, verse 37, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. This phrase, it will be good, is repeated several times through the passage and it means blessing. It will be blessed. You'll be blessed. It is good. Those who wait and watch for the master will be blessed. When you think of this uh, relationship between a master and a servant, you, you might think of the very strong social order of the 
or social hierarchy of the first century. Or perhaps if you're Downton Abbey, into Downton Abbey, you might think of that sort of master-servant sort of relationship. But that's not the relationship here, is it? This master is very different. Uh, Imagine you've stayed up late at home to welcome your VIP. And they come in in the early hours of the morning and you welcome them and you show them to the room and you offer them uh, a drink or some food, but they refuse it. And instead of taking you up on the offer, they put an apron on, head to the kitchen and start making you your breakfast. You think, hang on a minute, this this is all wrong. This is the wrong way around. Jesus here is the master who who doesn't come to be served, but comes to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I wonder if perhaps one of the reasons why uh, some of us don't live waiting and watching for Jesus' return is because we haven't understood how wonderful the master is. Maybe, if we're honest, we resent him a little bit as the master because we find our treasure in the things of this world. If so, we will not see the goodness of the master who comes to serve, the treasure that Christ offers, the saviour who delights to serve. Be ready. Jesus says, put your treasure in the right things. Be waiting and watching. And secondly, be ready, be wise and faithful. After Jesus said this parable, Peter asked this intriguing question, doesn't he? Verse 41. Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? In other words, Jesus, who is it that you think isn't ready? Is it the religious authorities, us, the disciples, or or is it everyone? It's a good question. And as ever, Jesus doesn't answer the question directly, but he asks another question, verse 42. Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them the food allowance at the proper time? It's an intriguing answer, isn't it? And he goes on then to give four examples of different servants. The first servant, verse 42, is the faithful and wise servant. While the master is away, they are put in charge of the households, of feeding all the other servants, taking care of them. They do it well. They make sure that everyone's fed and watered and looked after. Verse 43, we read those words again. It will be good for those servants. It's good. When the master returns, that wise and faithful servant will be given more responsibility in the master's household. That is a blessing. It's good. However, the next three servants are not quite so good, are they? They're not faithful and wise at all. Verse 45, whilst the master's away, the second servant is hostile, uncaring, and abusive. He doesn't care. He doesn't give a monkey's when the master returns, or even if he will return. And the servants, the other servants that he's supposed to be caring for, rather than care for them, he just abuses them. Serves only himself as he eats and gets drunk. 
And when the master returns, that servant gets what he deserves. It's a bit gruesome, this, isn't it? But uh, the servant is killed and chopped up into pieces. The third servant, verse 47, well, he's a bit better, isn't he? He knows what the master wants, and he's not hostile or abusive, but but he is disobedient. And when the master returns, his punishment is to be beaten with many blows. Well, the fourth servant, verse 48, is slightly better still, because the wrongs that they do are because, well, not because they're deliberately disobedient, but because they're ignorant. They didn't know what their master wanted them to do. They still do wrong, and so there's still punishment, but they're beaten with only a few blows. So then, four servants, one faithful and wise, three, not so. And you think, well, how on earth does that answer Peter's question? Well, look at the answer in verse 48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. The uh, 2002 Spider-Man film ends in, uh, for me, a really poignant way. It features uh, Peter Parker walking away from the graveside of his uncle. And as he walks away, you hear his voice on a voiceover say these words. Whatever life holds in store for me, I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. This is my gift, my curse. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. It's a great moment. It's a goose pimples moment. And in it, Peter Parker recognises the enormity of the gift he's been given and recognises the responsibility that he has to use that wisely. And Jesus' point here is similar. He's saying, look, I will return. And in the meantime, he gives his servants gifts to use, and with them comes the responsibility to use them wisely and faithfully. If we've been given much, much will be expected. So in answer to Peter's question then, I think Jesus primarily here is addressing the disciples, for they've been given much. They've seen Jesus, they've been with Jesus, they've heard his teaching, and so much is expected from them. But the warning applies to us as well. And the sobering and starkest warning is for those people who look like servants. Perhaps they turn up on a Sunday or to unite. They look the part, but actually the reality is they live in hostility to God. They care little, if anything, about when Jesus will return or how he says to live. And Jesus says that when he returns, the punishment for for them, for those people, will be the worst. Because verse 46, they will be treated, they will be assigned the place of unbelievers. Because the reality is that is what they are. It's sobering. 
to the uh, disobedient and ignorant servants, whilst when Christ returns, we will be welcomed by him. In the meantime, we should not be surprised if we experience the Lord's discipline in our lives. Disobeying God, ignoring his commands, either deliberately or through ignorance, will have consequences. God, like any loving and good father, disciplines his children. And I think one of the main ways we see that discipline is through the consequences of sin. Sin has consequences. For unfaithful and unwise, it will come back to bite us. If you store up treasures on earth, you will feel the consequences in this life as well as in the next, when they don't provide for you, as you hope and long they would. And sin having consequences is God's gracious and kind way of helping us to store up treasure in the right places. To store up heavenly treasure. But there is another way, isn't there? There's another way, and that's to be the first servant, to be the wise and faithful servant, living out in obedience to God's commands. So be ready. Be wise and faithful. Thirdly, be ready. Expect division. In that final scene in Spider-Man, just before Peter Parker, you hear Peter Parker's voice saying those words. Uh, this, this, the woman that he loves has just confessed her love for him. But he realises that the role, the responsibility he's been given means he can't tell her how he feels about her. And so they stay just friends. And in that moment, you realise the cost. You realise the cost of the responsibility that he's been given. Being a wise and faithful servant will be costly. And perhaps one of the costs might be the cost we see in verses 49 to 53. There is no bigger division in the world. Despite all the divisions we see, there's no bigger one than those who believe and those who don't believe. Those who have life and those who live in death. So we should not be surprised to see that the consequences of following Christ affect even our closest and most deepest relationships in our families. Jesus says this passage because he warns us in order that we might be ready, that if it happens, he's warned us about it. This is a sobering passage, it's a serious passage. And Jesus says these things, all of these things, in order that we might be ready. And so the question, I guess, is, well, how do we respond? How do we get ourselves ready? Well, the final two R's show us the way. Be reconciled and be repentant. Uh, I wonder if you've ever been um, on a journey somewhere and you arrive ten minutes later than everyone else. And... uh, when you turn up, everyone says, where did you go? And, was, and they say, oh, I, I didn't see the sign. Didn't see the sign? It was obvious. It was the great big one. Has that, that been you? It's been me. 
Well, I think that's what Jesus is saying in verses 54 to 59. He's saying to the crowds, how can you not see the signs? He says to them, look, you're great. You're great at seeing the signs in the sky and the clouds and interpreting the weather as a result. But you're useless at seeing the signs of what is happening before your very eyes. The Son of God is in your midst. The incredible miracles that Jesus is doing are a sign, a pointer to his identity. How can you miss them? Open your eyes, Jesus says. Verse 57, use some wise judgment. And he says this because if we fail to see the signs, then the God who is in the midst, the middle of these people, remains their adversary, their enemy. That's what's going in in the verses following. We don't have time to look at it in detail this evening. But in these verses, Jesus says, look, if you you fail to see the signs, you fail to recognise who I am, you're left with a choice. You can go to court and stand on trial against God. Or you can be reconciled with him before you get there. You can settle your account with your accuser, God, now. Or you can face your sentence till your debt is paid. But the truth is, of course, that our debt will never be paid. It's an eternal sentence. I think Jesus' point here is this, that being a wise and faithful servant of Christ might not be easy. It might be costly. You may experience the pain and division in even your closest relationships. But would you rather face that pain or would you rather face the pain of being in debt to God for the whole eternity? Open your eyes, Jesus says, to see the signs. Be reconciled to God. That's how you get ready. How is that reconciliation possible? Well, thirdly and finally, be repentant. So again, we're flying through these verses, but... Some people listening to uh, Jesus' teaching here uh, respond by saying to Jesus, by telling Jesus about these Galileans, Galileans, part of Israel, Jews, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Basically, they're telling Jesus about an awful, tragic event where Pilate's been responsible for killing some of God's people as they offered their sacrifices to God. And you think, why would they raise this now to Jesus? Why why tell him this? Well, I think, if you look at verse 2, Jesus' response to their question reveals their motive. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? See, I think the people, are asking, the people who are asking this question don't think they need to be reconciled to God. I think they think that the people who were killed by Pilate, well, that was probably a consequence of their sin. They probably had it coming to them. But my relative safety, well, I think that probably implies I'm safe. I'm part of God's blessed ones. 
I don't need to be reconciled with God. But Jesus' response to them is stark, isn't it, in verses 3 to 5. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying whether those deaths were caused by the evil of a human being or a tragic accident, those who died were no more deserving of death than anyone alive. Everyone is equally guilty before God. Everyone needs to be reconciled to him. As one commentator says, the wonder is not that some people are allowed to suffer atrocities and accidents. No, the wonder is that anyone is spared. Jesus' command here is to repent. To repent, and to repent whilst there is time, verses 6 to 9. God is patient. He was patient with Israel, his vineyard. He waited them, waited for them to produce fruit. He, he gave them extra time. And he's patient with us. He longs that we would repent. And as a result, bear the fruit of the wise and faithful servants. But if not, we will be cut off. Because in reality, fruitlessness is a sign that we never truly belonged. So as I uh, draw to a close, let me ask you this question and get you to think about this. As you think about those areas of your life where you are not a wise and faithful servant, and we all have them, small or large, Jesus says, stop. He says, stop. He says, repent. To repent is to turn around, is to change direction. Jesus says, that's what you need to do. Do it tonight. Do it now. For if you don't, you will face the consequences. But if you do repent, if you change direction, it will be good for you. It is the blessed way. It might be costly, but it will be good. So be ready. Jesus will return. Be ready, be reconciled, and be repentant. For the Master will return. And in the meantime, he stands at the door and knocks, longing that you will open the door and allow him to serve you. He gave his life as a ransom for yours. And now he wants to bless you. Be ready, be reconciled, be repentant. Let's pray. Loving Father, gracious God, we've covered a lot of ground this evening. We've uh, seen some sobering truths.
about what it looks like to be ready and our needs to be reconciled to you. And so, gracious God, we come to you in repentance this evening as we've already done so in the confession. We acknowledge our sin and our wrongdoing. And we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that you came not to be served, but to serve. And give your life as a ransom for many. And so help us, we pray, to live that life of the wise and faithful servants. Continually repenting and growing in our love and trust in you. And we pray these things in the precious name of your Son who died for us. Amen.